What an awesome morning. That holy, holy, holy uh, hymn is my very favorite song of all time. And I cannot sing it. I can't even think about it without tearing up and realizing that we have a God who is so holy and so amazingly powerful. And yet he sits there and looks at us and smiles and loves. And he's so good. Um, I'm not really going to preach today, I'm just going to talk. If I had a little fire pit, I'd light a fire and we'd just have a fireside chat. Um, I'm just, I was thinking back on, to, on how my little talks come about, and it's always something that God's doing in me, and um, all of my mentors are current kind of people like Carol. It's, you don't talk to him about what God did last week. You talk to him about what he's doing today. And uh, so it's always current. It's always fresh. And that means you get it too, since I have the microphone. And I'm going to make sure that you're not completely happy when you leave, because I haven't been happy. Matter of fact, the last three days, I've cried more than I can ever remember. I don't know why. I think I'm just overwhelmed by his goodness and his mercy and his presence. And Lori, was, she walked by yesterday. She goes, are you sad? I said, no. I don't know what I am. But I'm definitely not sad. Because, you know, he's doing things with all of us that are... Uh, okay, now... The voice is back. <laughs> so after the messages um, that we've had the last few weeks, it's easy to get fired up and want to move into action and want to do something. And uh, often when we talk about moving forward, it's always action. It's like we embrace something, we, we start moving. And we have many places here for you to serve and to volunteer. And I th- just looking at our ministries and the roles. I think we have probably between 40 and 50% of adults who, who volunteer in some area. Awesome. Maybe not every week, but they're there all the time, which is an extremely high number. And so we have the Country Brook. Anybody got any duct tape? <laughs> you know, we have the Country Brook Outreach. We have Free to Hope. We have the Street Ministry. We have foreign outreaches, we have local outreaches, we have the worship team, we have the greeting teams, we have the children's ministry, and it goes on and on and on, all the different things that that God is doing here. Uh, But the name of the message this morning is about hunger, not activity. Activity is not hunger, it's busyness. And for so many years... I equated my relationship with the Lord more to how busy was I, how much was I doing for him, and not so much how much have I been with him. And so in this last few weeks, he's created this hunger in me that I can't quite satisfy, yet I'm always happy, and half the time crying, because I'm happy, I guess, but I, I can't, it's like I can't quite get to where I want to be, even though he's quite pleased and happy with where I am, if that makes any sense at all. And hunger is the fuel that drives your activities. Because without that, your activities are just that. They're just busyness. When you have a hunger, 
for God. It drives your service. You do it because you love him, not because you have to. You, you live a life of, of devotion and not duty. And duty is great. It'll make you do what you're supposed to do. Devotion is better because it comes out of a heart of love and of service that you can't replace it with activity. And you know, you're the only one who knows which it is in your life. I can't determine that. And the promises of God that we read about, and and there's lots of books out there on them, are mostly conditional. And we, like Psalm 91, the first verse in Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. But what we quote is, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Or a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. That's what we quote. That doesn't happen unless you're dwelling. It's he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High that can quote that with confidence. Most of the time I quote scripture out of fear. You promised, Lord, that a thousand would fall at my left hand. Or my right hand. No, ten thousand right hand. A thousand on my side. And I, and I say it and I confess it out of fear because I don't have that confidence of standing with him when he tells me, don't worry about the thousand that just fell on your side. I got you. But I can't hear I got you unless I'm with him. And if I'm running ahead and trying to perform activities that make me look like a really good Christian man, then you will think I'm good and God will think I'm crazy and I'll be totally insecure. I'll never have confidence that he's coming. I'll never be able to stand there and say, if you have to shoot, shoot. Because outside of him, there is no grace and no power to do what he calls you to do. It all comes out of you. And you are very limited. I can run you out of gas in a few days. Just emotional turmoil will do it. Have you ever you know, finished the day and thought, man, if I have another day like this, I'm never going to make it. That's when you're using your own emotions. You're using your own oomph to make it happen. Or you've read a scripture and now you're trying to apply it. And I know in my own life that when I'm, when I'm walking in hunger, I never seek to perform. I just seek to be. And my performance happens based on the next thing he tells me. Which means one day I may be cleaning a toilet, and one day I may be standing up here. And in my eyes, and in his eyes, there's absolutely no difference. The only difference is, how are you doing that? And who is with you when you're doing that? Or we, or we quote verse 11. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Well, not if they're not his ways. Because when you dwell with him, your ways are his ways. And he will keep you in those. But he won't keep you in your ways. Your ways produce death. His ways produce life. So why waste time trying to get him to endorse your ways when they don't work? If you were a business person, that would be a really dumb decision. And yet, for somehow in the church and in, the, in Christendom as a whole, we have the idea that we get to choose 
and that we get to decide what God's going to do and what he's not going to do. And in some sense, you do, but in the sense that matters, you don't. Because he's going to do what he needs to do. And so the promises of God are only realized when he is above the promise. Not just because you're quoting the result of the promise without the condition. So he's here. His promises are here. If I ever focus on the promise, I put the promise here and him here. And, I, and, and sometimes I do that. I'll go in prayer and I'll say, you said, you said, you said. And yeah, of course, we're supposed to remind him. He tells us to remind him. But not in the, the spirit that I'm reminding him. It's a, you better do it because you said you would. And that doesn't work. So I don't want you to feel bad today, so I'm going to start with a little bit of who you are in Christ. So that's, yes, this is a good thing. This will get some air back in the room so I can suck it out again. (laughs) All right, if you're in Christ, you're loved. You are accepted. You are a child of God. I am Jesus' friend. I am a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. I'm united with God in one spirit, with him. I am a temple of God. His spirit and his life live in me. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Jesus. I am free from condemnation. I'm a new creation because I am in Christ. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly beloved. I am established, anointed, and sealed by God. I do not have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I am God's co-worker. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I have direct access to God's... I started to say God's Ephesians, but that's the reference. He has a way of keeping you humble. I am chosen to bear fruit. I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by which I share his nature. I can always know the presence of God because he never leaves me. God works in me to help me do the things he wants me to do. And I can ask God for wisdom and he will give it to me, whatever I need. And if you're a believer, that's you. That's not going to change. Nothing I say today is going to change that. Okay, that's what he gives you when you join with him. So I'm not talking about your salvation. What I'm talking about is what are we going to do between now and when he comes? Whether it's the last days, the last of the last days, there will be a last day. We just don't know when that is. And it's easy to be a convert. I was looking at a documentary, an Iranian. It was a transcript of part of a documentary. And uh, this pastor, he just said that Islam in Iran has purified the church. And they said, what do you mean by that? And he said, because under persecution, converts flee, disciples stay. And I thought that's a very powerful message that we all need to get. You can't just be a convert. All these things you have because you're a convert. 
But that's not the end. Because between now and the day you meet him, you've got to, to learn to live in the promises of God. And you only do that by being in his presence, not in his activities. The activities come. But they'll never be greater than his presence in your life. And his presence will hold you when you are shaking, when you're unstable. It will keep you grounded. He will give you everything you need in his presence. He's not going to give it to you in a box and hand it to you. He wants you to be with him when he gives it to you. So now that you feel good about yourself, nothing I say from here on out is going to change any of that. So you get to take that home. That's good. I have scripture references for all of them, and I stole that list completely off the internet. I did check the references to make sure they were right. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And what that means, hunger and thirst is a strong desire. It's a, it's a you have to have it for righteousness, which righteousness is the doctrine concerning the way in which we live to attain a state approved by God. Now, it's not works. It's how are you living Okay, it sounds like works if you want to make it works, but it's not works. It's living in a way that's approved by him. And it's done out of devotion. If you do it out of duty, it becomes legalism and religion and you won't last. You won't, you won't keep it up. But if it's done out of devotion, you will instinctively begin to live in a way that pleases him. And it, it involves integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness. Correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Those are all manifestations of righteousness in you. Luke 6.21 says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Okay? God desires to fill you if you allow that hunger to take root in you. He's not going to fill you just because you want it. You've got to be hungry. Okay? And then I used to say, I used to teach this, so I'm sure I'll have to answer for it one day. Do uh, you ever realize that as the years go by, your understanding and teaching changes? I don't want to say I was wrong. I, th I think he misled me. <laughs> but now he's fixing it. So I used to teach that desire was the greatest attribute of a disciple. That you had to have desire. I even taught it from here, I think, this last summer when we did the, the discipleship class. But you know what? I, I don't believe that anymore. And I, the reason is, desire is just a strong feeling. I desire to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and go work out. <laughs> it's not happening. I watched an old Monty Python skit, and they were doing a boxing training, and I forget the boxer's name, but he would set his alarm for four. He would go off, he would get up, turn it off, and go back to bed. And that's my training regimen. <laughs> so I just don't set it now, because it just interrupts my sleep. But it's just, desire is just a strong feeling. It leaves you with nothing tangible. It's just something you want, but you typically don't want to pay for it. And you'll find the crux of where your desire ends. 
and where it really doesn't matter. It's just something you wanted. And so I can have a life full of desires and absolutely no fruit. Only disappointments. Because you know what happens eventually? I'd start trying to explain away why I don't need the gym. It's bad for my joints. (laughs) I need to buy some collagen, you know, so my knees quit hurting. For example, how many of you have said, I want God to use me in ways that I haven't been used yet? Like to raise the dead, to heal the sick, open the deaf ears, blind eyes. That's just a desire. I haven't seen it. And so I just put it away. But I never get any farther with it. Every attachment to the world decreases my hunger for him. Every time I attach to anything whether it's career, family, good things, bad things, whatever it is, it decreases my hunger for him. And I don't really pursue him anymore like I used to. When I first got saved, and I'm sure it was the same with you, you couldn't keep me from him. I was in the word all the time. I was praying all the time. He was awesome. I hated most people because they just made me ill. I didn't hate them, but you know what I mean. I didn't like being around them. It was like the life of God was being sucked out of me. Just being there with them. They had such low expectations of him. And they had been walking with the Lord for a long time. And they would say things like this. Well, brother, you know, I used to be like you. And you know what it does to a new believer? Makes you feel inadequate. Like I'm not mature enough to handle life and God at the same time. And the scripture never says that. We're not supposed to handle life and God at the same time. We're supposed to be in him all the time. Life takes a secondary seat to me. It's not always pretty and it's not always pleasant, but it's not in charge. He in me is in charge. And so every time I have an attachment to the world, uh, it decreases my hunger for God. So if it's finances or whatever it is that has your attention above him is decreasing your hunger. And desire is not enough to overcome that. It just becomes wishful thinking. So hunger is a strong need for food in the physical. Or in our case, a strong need for his presence spiritually. The, the thing that's been overwhelming to me the last few days is I get covered by his presence and I don't know what to do. It's too good. And I need that. Because without that, I do not maintain hunger. I have to experience him enough to get hungry. And the kingdom is the only place where eating causes more hunger. If I eat a meal physically, I get full. If I spend time with the Lord, I want more time. I begin to to expand my times with him, to add him into everything. And I cannot satiate that hunger. I have to dull it. It's the only way to stop it. And I think so many times we're asking the Lord, make me hungry. And he's like, you're rejecting all your hunger pains. 
because you traded it for this or that or anything else that that he uh, he shows you because there's always more you do realize there's more that we're not walking in the fullness of everything he he provided for us yet Jesus even said that in Acts he said wait here till I send the Holy Spirit of power because there's more they were standing with Jesus he said no you wait here there's more and he wants that for us there is more but we can't do it. We can't take it if we don't even know where it is. We can't experience it if we're not walking with him in a way that he can show us what he's doing, how he wants to do it. He can empower us. And there is always more. And the amazing thing is that the more you seek him and the more you learn about him, the more you find out you don't know. And the more there is to learn. And I can promise you on this side of heaven... You will not ever gain full understanding if 24-7 you pursued him and spent time with him. You would still be lacking when you met him. And the number one word in heaven is going to be, oh. (laughs) I'm convinced. We're not even going to know what question we had. We're going to be so overwhelmed with who he is. And it's there for us. And there's always more. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's a great mission statement. We use that all the time when we're trying to get people to give. You know, I'm going to be your witness. Pay my way. When you were baptized by the Holy Spirit, you were given hunger. It came with him. And you spent time with him. And it was producing in you. Until you let the world in. And it took away the hunger pains. And you've just been existing since then. Trying to manufacture it. If you don't have the same excitement with him tomorrow morning that you do this morning after worship, there's a problem. You're getting it from the environment, not from your heart. Your appetite reveals the intent of your heart. What are the things that take your time? Everything is secondary to his love for you. That's the strongest force in the universe. His love for you is it. And everything else is secondary for that. And if you spend any time in that love for you, understanding that love he has for you, it will drive your hunger. It's only when you pull back and try to explain it, try to trim it and put it in this nice box so that it fits in your life, that you tend to lose the power of it. And pretty soon you don't even realize you're not eating anymore. And you're not hungry. And everything is secondary to his love for you. And you have to ask yourself, am I suffering because of the kingdom or am I suffering because of poor choices there's no deceit or deception with him he responds from who he is and I've suffered many times not because of the kingdom but because of poor choices I was on an outreach several years ago and we had uh, 
Well, I was living in another country, and we had an outreach team come, and we tried to give them an orientation, now do this, don't do that, you know, just listen to the Holy Spirit, do what he tells you. And uh, so they went on a prayer walk, and one of the guys uh, walked right past the guard at a military bridge in another country, standing there with a machine gun on his shoulder, just walked right by him, got halfway across the bridge, and they arrested him. Do it in America, they will arrest you. That's just what it is. So we got him out, brought him back, said, don't do that anymore. He stayed. Well, the newsletter that came after the outreach it explained how he was persecuted for the gospel. And I uh, wanted to write back, you were not persecuted for the gospel. You were persecuted because you're stupid. You don't walk by a guard with a machine gun and act like you're going to get away with it, especially in another country. It's just crazy. But that's what we do. We, make, we, we suffer because of our own silliness. And we, we twist what God says or we add to it or we take away from it to make it more palatable. Because if God tells you to get up and start praying in the street and you're like, well, that, that's embarrassing. I'll, I'll just pray quietly. You're compromising. Because it's all about loving him. It's not about doing things for him. And sometimes, you know, this, this is something that he revealed to me. Great revelation here. So, sometimes I like the idea of him more than I like him. Because really liking him has a cost. And we're really talking about prolonged death. Every time he takes something, though, he tries to give you something better in its place. So you're constantly growing and changing, but it's not easy, and it's, it's painful. I always like to say it this way. It's, everything about the Lord is simple. It's just not easy. You know, just do this, and everything will be great. Uh. So I know for me, sometimes I prefer the idea of him. I like the ideal more than I like the cost of actually being with him. And, I, you know, what it does when you're with him, it changes your pursuit. You don't pursue ministry or activity. You pursue him. You see, you're going to pursue something. Something's going to get your attention, and that's what you're going to pursue. And if you keep him in the front, you'll pursue him because the rewards of pursuing him are much greater than anything else you're thinking about. And all you have to do is really experience it once. And it will drive you. And about 35 years ago, I was just singing loudly in my car alone, which is where you'll mostly hear me singing, which means you won't hear me singing. And uh, it was worship songs. You know, I think that was back when I sold all my albums because the music was bad, and, and some of it was. I'm just teasing. If you have music, that's between you and God. I was listening to worship music, and I was really into it. Like, it was an experience. You know, it kind of transcended just singing to really worshiping. And his presence came in my car so strong that I got scared. And I pulled back. My first thought was, what am I going to hit? 
if I let him take over. And you know from that, from that day until today, I'm waiting for that day again. Find the end of me. Why is it my yes always has a qualifier? I don't want to have any more qualifiers. I want to be completely swallowed by his presence. I want you to be completely swallowed. Because then we will rule and reign in this life. There will be nothing that can be taken. Because you've given it all away. You've given it all up. Deuteronomy 7.22 says, And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to, to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Okay, He's going to bring you the enemies slowly. Whatever the enemies of your soul are that keep you from him, he will bring to you one at a time. But you have to kill it. You've got to decide to move on past where you're at. And you've got to be abandoned to him. And I... I I think really this whole season for me, probably the last three months, has been what are you hanging on to and why? It's not that heavy theologically. I can't say he's in charge and, and me be in charge. I can't bend his promises to be liked better. One of the things I always appreciated about Carol was he'll tell you exactly what the word says. Yeah, sometimes it is ow. <laughs> and sometimes it's like, get it out. <laughs> it hurts. Because God's waiting. He's waging a battle not just against the enemy. He's waging a battle against you. Out of his love. He's not fighting you to put you down. He's fighting you so that you can see what real life is. Because once you partake of his character, you won't want yours. We used to have a teacher named Paris Reedhead who did a whole series called So Great Salvation. It was like 14 tapes. This was before CDs, DVDs, but man, it was long. And he kind of was a little, you know, kind of droned on and on and on while he was teaching. But he had a teaching called Ten Shekels in a Shirt where he was going to a pastor's conference. He got out of the elevator to go to the stage and God gave him a new message. Told him, scrap it, I'm going to tell you what to say. And so he did this, it was on basically selling the ministers who were selling their services, is what it was about. It was based around Micah, where he sold his services for 10 shekels and a robe. And uh, he made an interesting statement. He said on his first trip to Africa, when he started looking around, he went with the idea that he was going to just go help the Africans, uh, save them, show them how they could prosper and do better. And he said he got there, and he looked around, and, and you know what he said? He goes, I realized they deserve death, just like I do. We all deserve that. Now, of course, he, you know, he was a great missionary, great teacher. But what I'm saying is when you start hanging out with him, you see things the way they really are. If, if God is with me, no offense, you're not going to look very good. I'm not going to look very good because he's the only one who is good. 
Don't feel bad. Just decide what you want and get it over with. And then your life can go on however you decide it's supposed to go on. I want to give you three examples really quickly of hunger. First one is in Luke 19, 1 through 10, is Zacchaeus. We all know the children's song, a wee little man was he. And I normally, uh, I pull up scriptures, you know, on the internet because they're all there. And I, then I paste them into my document so I don't have to open the Bible, if it, you know, and keep changing back and forth. And so when I was looking up for the reference of Zacchaeus, this little thing popped up that said, 20 trending sermon outlines about Zacchaeus. <laughs> and I thought, well, let me see. Do I want to trust Google or do I want the Holy Spirit to tell me what we're doing? But it tickled me that we do that. We, we search Google to find the trendy ways. We used to call it seeker-friendly. Trying to trick people into coming in. And then make them feel guilty if they leave. So it's the story of Zacchaeus up in the tree. You know, he went ahead. He wanted to see Jesus. He was short, so he climbed up in a tree. Jesus comes and says, I need to go to your house. We're going to eat together. And if you read through the story, Zacchaeus took him home, actually gave back a lot of the money he had taken and was offering to pay up to four times, I think it is, in the story, to anyone he had wronged. Just being with Jesus did that. And what struck me about this is that when you, when you first start being hungry, you become curious. So Zacchaeus was curious, so he went to the tree, climbed up there, and then, of course, Jesus met him there. And we know you can read the whole story. It's in Luke. Then the second story is the paralytic in Mark 2, where... There were so many people listening to Jesus that said they couldn't even get in the door. So the whole room's full of people, and these four guys bring their friend. And they can't get through the door, so they rip open the roof and lower him down. And then Jesus, of course, heals him at that moment. And the second thing hunger does is it brings expectations. After curiosity, you start to expect God to do certain things. And so these friends, they didn't really care what it looked like to rip off the roof and get him down in there. They just knew that if they had an expectation that if they could get to Jesus, their friend would be well. And they didn't stop for anything less. And when they had broken through and let him down, Jesus healed him. And the expectations will drive you when you're hungry. Expectations will ruin you if you're not. Because they won't be fulfilled. There's no life source to fulfill those expectations that aren't attached to him. If it's not attached to him, it's, it's a roll of the dice. Can you make it happen or not? If it's attached to him, it'll be exactly what he desired it to be when he put it in there in your heart to do. And then thirdly is the woman with the issue of blood. So after you have curiosity, then you have expectations, then you have impartation. And she ran through the crowd, and if, it's a fascinating story because she was unclean, had been unclean for years, and by disguising herself actually made everybody on the road unclean. And they probably would have stoned her, except Jesus became the high priest and pronounced her well. 
And that got him all off the hook, and he finished it, tied it up with a nice little bow. But there was an impartation of power, and he, he's walking. And this is what struck me about the story, is he's walking. She comes through the crowd and touches him, and you've all read it because the disciples are like, how in the world are we supposed to know who touched you? Look at all these people. And he knew when that power went out. And I used to think, well, Jesus was just, you know, he, he was our example. He was so full of the Father that she got what she wanted without his even knowing it until it was gone. He just said, Where'd that? who was that? And that when we spend time and we're hungry for him and we become like him, people can draw things out of us that we don't even know we're giving because it's not us. It's the Father in you. It's the hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the desire to be just like him to the world around you. <clears throat> and, the, and what it creates is, Psalm 69, 8 to 9, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have now fallen on me. It is lonely. And the things that people complain about Jesus, well, they will start complaining about you. And that's the cost. But you'll be with him. And I'd much rather go through hard times with him than trying to avoid him without him. I'm not smart enough in my own to do that. Because the more you're with him, the more you look like him. And if you have a loss of appetite physically, it's usually an indication that something's wrong. So why, if you have a loss of appetite spiritually, would you not think that something was wrong? And I have come in here Sundays and just said, God, make me hungry. And you know what? The real question is, why aren't I hungry? It's not something I can create. It's something I have to ignore. I have to eat garbage to keep from being hungry for the real stuff. And so it doesn't matter how much I cry and whine to be hungry. I have to just submit to him. And his presence makes me hungry. Because the more I'm with him, the more I want. Because he's the only thing that brings life. God is the one who creates hunger. And he is faithful to draw you. You had hunger the day you were born again. And we have since then been trying to suppress it so we didn't appear too weird, too disconnected from the world, when in all reality we're supposed to be completely disconnected from the world. You look like a light that's confusing to people. They don't know what to do with it. But if your power source isn't him, you won't make it. You don't have enough to sustain yourself. So I know that we've, uh, or I have, a lot of times resisted or tried to squelch the hunger because I didn't want to appear too weird. You know what? You're weird. <laughs> Just get over it. Embrace your weirdness. 
There's a documentary coming out about the, uh, I think it might be out now, about the Iranian church. This is my one slide, in case you were wondering if I had a, had a PowerPoint, this is the one. There's a, a, an Iranian family who had come into the country, they'd immigrated, and they'd been here for a few months, and the wife went to her husband and said, I want to move back to Iran. And he was surprised, and he said, why? And she said this, there is a satanic lullaby here, and the Christians are sleepy, and I'm feeling sleepy. And I thought, what a powerful, condemning statement about us. Now, not everybody, you know, don't be offended. There is a satanic lullaby here, and it shows up in materialism, shows up in any number of ways, lusts, pornography, it can be business, it can be anything that gets you away from that hunger. It dulls you. And that's, have you ever um, gone out after a storm, you know, it's been like a spring storm and all the colors are extremely bright? That's what hanging out with him does. It removes these filters that cover the colors so that you can see things for the way they really are. And that hunger is already in you. You just have to give him a place to let it out. You don't have to do anything for it. It comes with him. A desire to be with him. It has nothing to do with activity. And again, I'm not really telling you to get hungry. I'm asking you, why aren't you hungry? Because if you're with him, you should be. Let's pray. Well, Father, we love you. We thank you for all of your amazing benefits, everything you provide for us at salvation that can never be taken, the fact that we are so loved, cared for, you're so good. But we also realize that there's a hunger that needs to be developed in us, and only you can do that. We can't do it. So I ask you now, Lord, to show us any area where we've attached ourselves to the world, where we've let desire rule over hunger, where we've decided that thinking about it was good enough. And I pray, Lord, that you'll increase our capacity to hunger and thirst after righteousness and after your presence. There's a hurting world, Lord, that needs to see you the way you really are. And so we choose that today by your Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can do it, Lord. So we receive that. We receive him. And I ask you to highlight the areas of our lives that need change, that need work, or that we've suppressed. That we would walk in the fullness of what you saw when you created us. We bless you, Lord.